What's up, guys? This is Kyle. I'm back. This is podcast number 11. The X-Men team has reunited. We've got Ed and we got Tom back here. Yes, we haven't had all three in the house. I can't remember the last time that we've all been together. Wait, who are we from the X-Men? I, I would probably go a Wolverine myself. See, yeah, I'll probably be like Nightcrawler. See, the best dude is Mr. Sinister, but he's not even with the X-Men, <laughs> so... I don't. I let me chill in the cut and just be Professor X and just like be the mind here. Nah, man, you're you're Gambit. You're <laughs> yeah, just, I can do Gambit. Yeah, I can be Gambit. You're just throwing playing cards at everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Play. I am an Olympic gold medalist at throwing shade. So yes. <laughs> so while I was gone last week, I checked out the podcast you guys did with our uh, good friend Barry. A lot of controversy. Without the without the moderator here to settle things down, that's what happened. So that's why I'm back. Well, that's why we keep you around. Earn your check tonight. Yes, sir. So a lot of cool things to talk about. I mean, this whole week has. I mean, if if you have been on social media and you haven't been living under a rock, you've pretty much just seen Tyrese everywhere on the internet: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So we're probably going to talk about a lot of Tyrese stuff, but maybe not Tyrese. You know. Directly, but just a lot of points that he brought up. Um, first of all, guys, he ended up selling 65,000 first week, debuting number one on the Billboard 200 charts. You know, I, I posted something on Facebook yesterday on our page that said, you know, it's great to just see an, an R&B album debut at number one on the Billboard 200 charts. Yeah, I think that it was well deserved. It was a solid album, and I will say that I went into the album. I didn't. I haven't given it my fuel ed review yet. I've only listened to it once and I will be I'll admit I was skeptical going in because the stands had just gone crazy and called it album of the year and this and that. But it's a solid piece of work and I think that his social media campaign really helped kind of get some momentum and traction going for it. So it's a well deserved honor. Let me just say number one album on Billboard two hundred and this is slightly off topic, but I think the next one is going to be uh, The weekend, the next R&B one. Really? Agree, disagree? Mm, I would have to see what this competition is looking like, but he certainly has the public appeal to pull it off. Back to Tyrese, I guess. Um, guys, I actually had a chance to listen to Tyrese's whole discography the other day, thanks to the beauty of the internet. Uh, I had a chance to check out every album. You know what? Tyrese, I don't know if he's ever had a great album. I personally, you know, I, I listened to the latest album, Black Rose. I think it might be his best. I would put it, and I, I'd like to see where Tom falls on this. I would put it at number two. Again, I haven't given it the full Ed review, full listen, but I still like his debut the best. Um, this one probably for me would land at number two, but it's definitely on the high end of the spectrum. I'm not going to judge yet. I need some more time with it to to see where it settles in at, but it's a strong effort. I mean, for me, when I look at it, Tyrese is rich. He's a celebrity, movie star. Had someone else put out this body of work, I, it definitely wouldn't have been number one on Billboard. That's a, I mean, that, to me, that's a fact. If, that's a fact. No question. And that's no slight against Tyrese either. That's just the resources he has. No, that's an absolute well, fact. I'm kind of slighting him because he's running around, prancing around, talking about, oh, number one and all this. Like, we've had much better albums than this in R&B that haven't hit number one. Oh, well, I'll, yeah, I will slight that. 
So we'll we'll get into that later on. But the actual effort and promotion that he put into this, I can't really hate on it. And it is, like I said, it's a solid album. Album of the year, no. Um, Tyrese's the biggest problem he's had since the first album is establishing a standout solid track for each album. Now he did that easily on the first album, but later albums he really struggled to have like that one signature track to push the album forward. And that is kind of what he is struggling with a little bit on Black Rose. Well, let me say, I don't mean to diss the guy because his marketing campaign has been extremely uh, creative, smart. Like people haven't been doing what he's been doing to get the word out, which I think I admire. And I think it's really cool. The thing that Kyle brought up to me yesterday, you know, to go off of your point, he had he's really mastered the slow jam, but he's never really had that up-tempo hit. Not at all. So Not at all. I wonder if that takes away from things or has held him back at all. What do you think, Kyle? Do you think how do you think that affects it? Actually, you know what? I think it's really strengthened his brand because he can really just focus on the R and B in him. You know, like I said, I had a chance to listen to his entire discography the other day. I mean, if you remember his second album, I Wanna Go There, that was the one album where I think he tried to go into that pop R and B lane with songs like I Like Them Girls. Um, he had a couple of records produced by Jermaine Dupri on there and a record by Rodney Jerkins, and it just didn't work for him for whatever reason. You know, his voice is great for slow jams, but when you try to put him on an up-tempo, it just doesn't work. Um, he, even later on in, in his career, when he did that song with Ludacris, uh, Too Easy, it just didn't feel right. So I think he realizes that too, and that's why he's focusing on you know the R&B slow jams, and it's worked well for him. He's really created a brand for himself to where people when they listen to Tyrese they think okay this is real R&B um, you know the, the thing that I wanted to point out Tom just piggybacking off you know you you know admiring his his marketing scheme you know we've seen him singing on the subway we've seen him uh, taking a video with a homeless woman uh, you know one of the things that he's been doing recently is calling out pop radio for them not playing his records or just R&B records in general. Um, can you guys, Tom, I guess, talk about how effective you think it is for him to be calling people out like that? Uh, it's not going to work. I mean, you showed me a screenshot where all the hosts from Z100 responded to him and said they had no say in what gets played. He was going for Ryan Seacrest as well. I do think Ryan Seacrest has some say. But the thing is, I mean, it's no secret that radio is controlled by the dollar. He has money, so if he really wants to get played on mainstream radio, he should just pay for plays like other artists do. I mean, hopefully that I'm not like shocking anyone by saying this, but that's just how it is at radio. It, you know, you shouldn't wonder why only major artists are getting played on the radio. But at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys even see his single "Shame" fitting in on pop radio? I, it doesn't even seem like the right format for the song. I mean. I do not. Um, um, one thing I want to go back on that um, Kyle mentioned earlier, I think you said that his second album was I Want to Go There, is actually 2000 Watts. I just want to call that out yeah. before before we get yelled at on yeah. Twitter, because I know how y'all do. Anyway, <laughs> yes, I do think that Shame isn't um, an album that's geared toward pop radio, and that's one thing that kind of frustrates me about Tyrese's whole I'm going to go on Twitter and wild out and do these iron video things, because I understand the intention behind it, but 
you know, even from someone outside of the industry can look in and will know that, like, this just isn't the way to get it done. And it kind of frustrates me because it kind of takes the attention off of, you know, I, I don't want this to be like, oh, let's get this play because I'm the victim. And I don't like this victim role that's being pushed. I would rather that the music stand out first. And I think that's what the intent is. But sometimes with these videos, we're kind of getting the, oh, you know, you're doing wrong, you're doing me wrong, you're doing us wrong, you're doing us wrong. Like, let's stop leaning towards so much of the victim role and the negativity and push some solid music forward. Because at the end of the day, I like I said, I like the album. I don't see anything on this album penetrating pop radio. That's just being real. You know, but, but, sorry, sorry, Kyle. Well, let me, my issue is that he's he's claiming he's, sa he's saving R&B, or this is the album that saved R&B. And that's what I take an issue because we've had so many great artists who've been carrying a torch for R&B for so many years since since R&B fell the mainstream in the late 2000s. And one I forgot who it was. I think it might have been you, Kyle, who said this Tyrese album sounds like a Kem album. And Kem is a perfect example of an artist who just makes great music, goes about his business, doesn't rely on any gimmicks. He's got two gold albums, a platinum album. His last album in 2014, Promise to Love, came out. He didn't need any, any creating any commotion or anything. He just does his net nationwide tours. He just sells albums, makes great music. Like to me, I really respect that. Definitely. And one side note about Kim, um, as many of you know, I work for the largest media organization in Alabama, and we were doing a story a couple weeks ago that was kind of looking at music trends across the state. And the writer of the story came to me because the biggest R&B artist in the state was this guy named Kim and he was like who is Kim why is like this Kim guy like on everyone's playlist because Kim quietly has just gathered this audience and is really spearheading R&B and he isn't making a big deal about it he just gets out there he appeals to his audience and he as Tom just said is a great seller so there's still a role for that in R&B and you know, just if you follow that, I think that's the way to go rather than kind of playing a role of what was me all the freaking time. You know what's really funny? I was just going to bring up with Tyrese's whole rant about pop radio. He started, you know, mentioning a lot, of, a lot of the white artists who are getting plays on both sides, such as a Sam Smith, such as a Justin Timberlake. And he also brought up Robin Thicke, and I found that to be hilarious because aside from Blurred Lines, Robin Thicke has never had any pop success. So poor Robin Thicke, he just doesn't... <laughs> He's still losing. <laughs> Stage losing player. And let me get, let me enlighten y'all on this one because I kind of went off last year or yeah, I think it was last year when Tanks pulled the same thing. I think that when we start dividing this and making this, oh, we're the white artists are doing better than the black artists, that is not doing the genre any good at all. Like that just divides the music. What we need to be doing is putting out solid music and using that to tell the story instead of playing the victim role all the time. It drives me nuts. And it's needless division in the game. Was John other, was was John Legend uh, included in that list or no? No, I'm sure he was not. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it, I hate that there's this mentality that the only R&B artist who gets love is Sam Smith. Are y'all listening to the same thing I'm listening to? It's not at all. If there is, if you are walking this earth, you have heard all of me probably 80 times this month, and that song is like a year old. So come on now. There are plenty of black artists that get love. So don't just keep blaming it on the white artists. It infuriates me. 
Yep. So, you know, uh, I'm going to ask you guys a question shortly, but I just also want to point out one of the things that disappointed me with Tyrese's whole marketing plan. And, you know, I think we've all agreed that it's been impressive. The one thing that I'm really disappointed about, you know, he keeps stating that R&B is struggling, etc. But, you know, in his whole tirade, he never brings up any artists that are putting out good music like a Kem, like a Lettucey. Um, You know, I think now would be a good opportunity for the public to check out their music as well as his, but he's, he hasn't done that. Not at all, because it's self-serving, and that's what makes me mad. It's all about look at me and not look at the genre. If you're saying you're doing this for the genre, talk about Jasmine Sullivan and Tamia and these artists who have had outstanding albums this year, instead of saying, well, they just won't play my stuff. We need to bring R&B back. No, you're saying let's bring Tyrese back. Let's just be real with it. Exactly. So, so the question that I'm going to bring to you guys, because we had this discussion a couple of podcasts ago, where I personally felt like Miguel was going to be the guy that brings R&B back, but unfortunately his album only sold about 41,000 copies. So my question then is, is Tyrese the guy that you think is fitting to bring R&B back? Is he the guy that should be leading it? No. And I'll tell you why I say no, because younger the younger folks don't care about Tyrese. The younger people do care about Miguel, and they don't care about Tyrese. And to really make a huge impact, you've got to get that attention from the younger generation. And unfortunately, they don't care about Tyrese and the music he's making. But I, I do- mean, it's, yes, it's always been like that, too. Look at Tyrese's first single, going all the way back to 98. He appealed to a younger audience. He was a dude sitting on the back of the Coke bus. That appealed to younger audiences. Whether we like to realize it or not, the only way to get that mainstream success is to appeal to younger audience. That's just the reality of the game. And I feel bad for Miguel, actually, because Coffee is such a great song. I think we all agree. And it's just not getting the love on the charts like it should be at radio. Yeah, and it surprises me. It's one of my favorite songs of the year. It's the only, well, I won't say the only song on the album, but the best bet on that album for mainstream play. NWA might might prove that to be later on. But I'm just kind of surprised that it didn't take off. That one really surprised me. But I think with Miguel, he's always been a slow burner. So it's going to... That album will probably stay on the charts for a minute and then just consistently sell. So I don't think we've heard the last from Miguel. No. Um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, back to the Tyrese point, because, you know, we love talking about Tyrese. <laughs> uh, another thing I wanted to bring up, you know, Tom, like you said, the youth doesn't really care about Tyrese as a musician. Of course, they love him for his stuff in Transformers and Fast and Furious. That's It's interesting. Does that fan base correlate to the music side of things? I mean... The thing is, like, I think he's just too inconsistent with the music for it, – it's like a, it's a weird situation. I think it's, like, very unique. We don't really have these situations too often where an art – where someone's, like, a big movie star and they're – and, you know, and they're also into big in music too. It's, like, it's hard to quantify who they're really touching with each and who their fans are in each. Are they even the same people in each? I don't know. Well, it, it's often not. It depends on the music because if you look at, and I'm not at all comparing Whitney Houston's career to Tyrese's, but if you look at the music and the movies that she did, those movies kind of spoke to her audience anyway. You had the bodyguards and the waiting as exhales and things like that. And when they put out the um, movies, she usually had music that followed along with it. Tyrese, however, is just, you know, doing the acting thing and then randomly dropping an R&B album, and they're two different audiences. So you got the Fast and Furious artists, 
then you got the TGT, ooh, greasy abs audience. So they're not really correlating like Whitney used to do. Kyle, I just a slight side note. You brought Miguel. Did you yeah. did you guys realize he's turning thirty this year? No. Damn, I didn't realize he was that old. So, for someone to re- we're relying on for the future of R and B, I'm just curious if someone turning thirty can really carry the torch now that he's is he still going to be appealing to the younger generation? I think it all depends on the music. I mean, Jay-Z is about 74 these days, but, you know, he can still, he's one of the few artists that can kind of adjust his sound and make it a little modern and appeal to younger audiences. So it's rare, but you can do it. But, yeah, but he had the foundation in place. I mean, this is only Miguel's third album. He's still, I wouldn't say he's a huge superstar to to the effect that he can dominate. Like, oh, no, 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 no. And I'm not certainly not talking about the aura and legend that Jay-Z carries. But my point is that if he can cake his music and continue to appeal to what younger ears are listening to, I think that that's, that can work. You know, R. Kelly does it all the time. And I know R. Kelly, again, rides off of his legendary status. Yeah. But legendary status means nothing if you sound like your song sound like 1984. So right. if he can continue to sound modern, I think he'll be all right. And on a slightly related think, note, um, sorry, yeah, go ahead, Kyle. Go ahead, Kyle. With Miguel, he, it's a little different from Miguel because, I mean, I guess his profile, he's always been very, you know, he has a mystique about him just because he's not always in the media. I mean, I think in recent times, I think he, he's become more visible and, you know, he's showing more of his personality, but... I think the advantage that he has is he's not always in the media. So I think that's what's going to keep the youth interested in him. Right. And on a slightly related note, Usher is turning 37 this year. What do we have to talk about Usher this week, guys? Guys, well. I made it. Guys, I was going to tell you guys. We were going to try to make a go of not talking about Usher on this podcast because we've talked about him for the last seven. But well, I got to keep the streak going, I guess. Yeah, Usher's 37. Gosh. We we're going to talk about Usher. Well, let me got, let me ask you guys this if we're on the topic of Usher and him turning 37. Obviously, there has to be a point in an artist's career where they transition from, you know, the popular stuff to, I guess, what's labeled as the urban means, uh, the urban AC, or just the more mature music. At what age or at what point is it appropriate for an artist to transition over? Oh, that's a great question. Like, I, I don't I, know I, if I there think... is an age limit. I think 30 is that magic number, to be honest. I mean, at what point – I mean, I, all right, related to this. At what point are you too old to be turning up in the club with, you know, the younger people? Play, you know, you ask me. that Anybody who is breathing should never be turning up in the club. <laughs> but if you decide to take your role, your life down that sad road, Yes, like you need to be in your early 20s. Like you need to be waiting for your college diploma to be hanging on your wall. But once you start paying bills, I need you not to be turning it up in the club. <laughs> and we just You know what? I did I did some research the other day. The uh the dude that sings that classic song, I'm classic man. That guy's 30 as well. Oh yeah, he's up there playing. He's that song frustrates me so much. I love his attire, but those trap beats got to go, player. I mean, he uh it's so much talent there, but I feel like it's being watered down. He 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 played the formula exactly to a T. He found the perfect beat, he found the catchy chorus. What else do you need? 
some substance if you're going to land on my playlist. But, hey, he's successful, so do your thing, homie. I would like to talk to your tailor, though, because them suits <laughs> make <laughs> like, I was just talking to Kyle about this yesterday. Let's bring Trey Songs into this because he's an artist who's struggling with whether to go Urban AC all the way or whether to still be in the clubs. But like, he—it's like how until what age can he still sing songs like "Say Ah"? You know, it's, it's, that, it's crazy because like. Can you imagine, like, let's say 10 years from now, we're in such a sad place where BET is doing, like, a Trey Songz um, night of appreciation. And you got kids, and he's up there 40 years old singing, say, I mean, it just, can you imagine sitting in your doctor's office in the waiting room, and that comes up on the speakers, like, what? Like, I think that at this point, he has to leave that behind and has to move forward. And it doesn't mean that he has to start singing like Kim. But he's going to have to put a little bit more substance in it because the the audience that he speaks to is getting older. And they aren't going to want to hear that all the time. Kyle, tell tell, tell everyone the, the story that Rico Love told us about Nelly. Oh, man. Well, um, I guess Nelly at one point was really frustrated about why, um, you know, his music wasn't playing in the clubs anymore. Um, you know, a lot of artists nowadays, their primary goal is to make a club record because it gives them an opportunity to do club appearances, to be to be paid like 25000 per appearance. I mean, the money is great, um, you know, uh, but Rico Love brought up the point, you know, you can go do these club shows and make your 25000 or you can do a worldwide record like they did with uh, Just the Dream, and that allowed him to go on tour. So, um, it's just a difference in, in philosophy, I guess. A lot of the younger people really have to do that club stuff. Like, Ed, I know your favorite uh, your favorite artist, Fetty Wap, is dominating <laughs> the clubs with that rapping song. Just, uh, I can't even spit the words to, to, like, convey my absolute disdain for Fetty Wap. Like, what? Like, your name is Fetty Wap. What is <laughs> Please continue what you're saying, Kyle, because I'm over here losing my mind, dog. <laughs> well, I completely lost my train of thought well, now, but... While we're since... on the topic of club bangers, why don't we bring Future into the discussion? No, oh, Ned, you really want me to jump off the deep end. Right, so, I was going to say, Fetty Wap is like a hybrid child of, of what Future spawned out, so I think we have Future to blame for this Fetty Wap madness. You remember on the Ninja Turtles when when Crane would get that freaking ooze and throw it on like a rat and it would turn into like a human? I think that's where Fatty Wap came from. Like the he like went in Future's hair drain, threw that down there, and out popped Fatty Wap and his garbage singing. Wait a second, are you calling Fatty Wap the Rat King? Yes. <laughs> With all the little rags and crap on them. Yes. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> but anyway, Future, Future actually is on set to sell about 125000 next week with his album, Ed. Who are the Future fans, and what does that mean for R&B? There's 125,000 people who need to do better in America. <laughs> That's all I'm telling. I do not understand the excuses we make. For future because if you visit soulandstereo.com and you are frequent to this site you know that he is not high on my christmas card list so but when 
when I talk about him, everybody says, well, you know, he can carry a tune. I have never heard that in my life. Oh, he's a great writer. Um, not really. Like, he's a great producer. I ain't heard him produce anything worth listening to. Like, why do we make excuses for this dude who is, like, equivalent of singing into a fan that's running in the 80s? Like, it's, the dude is like a, oh, 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 I'm just, I'm just, I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it. The man is a pack of ramen noodles with skinny jeans on that y'all are rolling with. Well, hold on now. I was speaking to an esteemed colleague of ours. Definitely someone who I'd call a scholar. And he said future is necessary to music because R&B has had a future in every generation from 70s, 80s, 90s who's made party music that you can groove to but didn't necessarily have all the talent. So The devil is a lie. There was never a future in the 80s and 70s and 90s. Let me school y'all on something. You youngers on something. Because I... um. I know this person who's out there, so you listening, homie, so I'm talking to you. There were times in the course of music, both in R&B and hip-hop, where there are artists who made fun songs, poppy songs, but those songs still had substance. It wasn't just somebody repeating a lazy hook over and over and over and over again. So, no, there's a difference between listening to, nobody's going to say the guys have come on, ride the train, and ride it. Nobody's going to confuse him with Rakim, but there was at least some substance there. That's what I asked for, substance. Not necessarily Stevie Wonder-level talent, but substance. At least try. Y'all ain't even trying. No, you can't compare Future to those in the 80s and 90s who made classic fun songs. I mean, the dude who sings Cupid Shuffle goes harder than Future. <laughs> can, I give, <laughs> can I give an example of, of a name I was given? Yes. <clears throat> And I don't agree with this statement, just so everyone knows out there. Montel Jordan. Montel Jordan? <laughs> what? Yes. Um, has this person ever listened to a Montel Jordan song? Montel Jordan may be known for one gigantic hit song, but giant, he had a very viable career with dozens of platinum and gold albums. He had a good voice. He was a decent performer. That is not at all compared to the man that's got the song called Honest. What? Wow. <laughs> all right. So let's, let's backtrack a little bit. Um, just a reader's <laughs> note for everyone. Ed's bedtime is like 9 o'clock, and it's like 11 his time right now. He's cranky. He's tired. So in the great words of future, I hope you wake up tomorrow in a Bugatti, Ed. Oh, man. Well, the only reason I will wake up in this Bugatti is to get up, drive to Future's house, and yell out of the window about how much he sucks. I'm just honest. I'm just honest. Turn up. All right, well, <laughs> so now that, now that we're on the discussion of how every, I guess, generation has a future, I guess the first, the first name that comes to mind, and I don't want to say it because he's actually talented, but that, I guess, is T-Pain. Hmm. Is that the future of the last, I guess, five years? Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. I am definitely not a T-Pain fan. Um, the problem I have with T-Pain that we've seen, I'm sure you've probably seen the viral video of him actually singing for real, and everybody's like, oh, I didn't know he could sing for real. But that's what frustrated me. I knew he could, but he relied on gimmicks and tricks. 
So, although, yes, I would say he's the future of the past maybe five, ten years, he still has more talent in the future. And then I guess another name that comes to mind, maybe Little John? I don't even count Little John, because Little John is more of a hype man than an artist. Like, it, you know, you, he's a producer that screams on the track. He's like in the Kirk Franklin. Like, nobody's going to be like, Kirk Franklin's a great vocalist. No, he's just a dude that says, GP, are you with me? Like, that's all you get from that guy. It's wow. a good production and mumbling over the beat like DJ Clue. Like, that's what you get from him. So I don't even compare Lil John in that. And then I guess the last name is Akon? No, come on. Yeah, I'm with I'm with Tom on that one. Yeah, I wouldn't really put uh, again. I'm no Akon fan, but he certainly gets way above future. Jeez, I mean, we're talking future. We gotta talk the Fetty Wops. We gotta talk the Tigers. We gotta talk the barrel, the scraping the bottom of the barrel, dudes. Doesn't uh, don't you think Big Sean belongs there as well, Ed? Oh my! Oh goodness. yes, yes. Oh my goodness! <laughs> He's not even in the barrel. He's like the little grass on the bottom of the barrel outside it. Yes. Wow. Oh, damn. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, um, I, I think this is an R&B podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, we we're getting off. We're like in Soul and Serial Land. My fault, y'all. But see, they got look. It's past my bad bedtime. They got me all riled up. I ain't had my prune juice. What's going prune on? Prune juice. <laughs> Luckily, I haven't listened to hip-hop since 2002, so I have no idea if Big Sean is good or not. Let me tell you in one word, no. At least you bowed out when the clips came out. At least you got that album, so you got out at the right time. Good for you. All right, so let's talk about R&B again, I guess. Uh, Seven Streeter just put out a new EP. Uh, We all love Seven. Uh, It's interesting, though. This is her second EP that she's put out. Both EPs have included singles. Her first EP included It Won't Stop with your boy Chris Brownhead. Mm-hmm. And the second EP uh, features her other single, Don't Kill the Fun, again with your boy Chris Brown. Um, yes. How many EPs is it going to take for Seven to put out an album? That's what I keep waiting on. I saw the, I didn't even know the EP was out until a couple days ago. And, you know, Twitter was blowing up loving it. But I'm ready for some full-length album here. Like, I know that the EP... The, the phenomenon of EP is you can put out some snippets, and they really have, the artists have a lot of control over what they do, but the gold standard, the measuring point for me, is always an album. You can have 74 high EPs, but your album has to measure up to it, so I'm really waiting for her, you know, to kind of put up or shut up for, and take that next step for her career. That's what I really want to see from her next. I just think this is, the, is an indication of the future with new artists signed to record labels. They're not going to take a chance on putting out your album because it's too much of a cost uh, risk to them. So they're just going to put out the EP, which is more cost effective and can kind of test the waters, kind of really get a gauge for how well you'll sell. And I think we're seeing it more often, and I don't think that trend is going to go away anytime soon. So Seven, I, I really don't know what she has to do. I kind of feel for her. And, I, and you know, another artist is like an L. Varner, who I kind of feel for, who deserved to have albums out at this point. I mean, L had her debut. We need her sophomore albums. It hasn't come yet. She's put out some little, you know, songs and projects in the side. But this is, I feel like this is the way labels are going. You are most definitely right. I hate to bring him up, but we're going to talk about Usher again. Um, I actually read an interview that he did recently when someone had asked about his upcoming album. And I'm just paraphrasing here, but he said something along the lines of, uh, 
I'm still working on it, but I got a couple of other things in the mix. I'm working on a movie. I'm doing some charity stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the album will be out when it's out. That kind of sounds like he's afraid to put out the album. I don't know if he's afraid to put out the album or he just can't get it out. Like, you just never know these days. I really don't know what's going on with that album. I mean, wasn't it supposed to come out over a year ago? I, yes, I don't know. yes, it was supposed to drop over a year ago. I mean, Good Kisser, I thought, was a solid enough single to get some stuff behind. I know the other singles didn't have quite the buzz or the um, the traction that that one did, but I don't know what the holdup is there. I mean, the, the single with Juicy J ended up on, like, number 11 on the Billboard Top 100, and it had pop spins, but I don't know if that was a record that could really push an album. No, I didn't think so. So Was it enough to push an album for Neo? Um, no shade, sorry. <laughs> we, love mean, ne we love Neo's album. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that was going to be the single that could push his album either, but Neil, Neil's really struggled with, you know, getting a hit record that can really push an album. I mean, his last album, R.E.D., had that dance song, Let Me Love Me, which was massive, but I don't think that was an album seller either. It's just no. tough to sell albums nowadays. Yeah, I mean, that's just the reality we live in. This isn't 98 where, like I've said before, you can do like my girl, um, Nicole Ray, drop one hot single, and then boom, your album's all of a sudden gold. Like, just because you had a hot single. It just doesn't work like that in this iTunes era where you can just cop this one song from iTunes and keep it moving. Yeah. I got the next yeah. topic. Let's let's do the album look back. Oh, cool. All right. I got it. Kalise Kaleidoscope. Ah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Ed, your take on the album? Oh, man. I love when that album came out because... Back in 99, she was just called, she was literally called the chick with the hair, the screaming chick with the hair, because she dropped, and when Caught Out There came out, it just caught everyone off guard. Like, everyone was like, what is going on? And the Neptune's sound was still fresh and still, like, kind of breaking into mainstream, so the... Their production just paired with her eclectic just style. It was magic. And, I mean, my favorite song was Get Along With You. It wasn't even caught out there. Mm -hmm. Great album and easily the best thing she's done. You know what? My favorite song off there, it might be Get Along With You or it might be Good Stuff with uh, the guy who we know we know now is Pusha T, but his name before was Terror. Yes, my man Terror. Yeah, I mean, I love that album as well. It's still, you know, it's still ahead of its time. I mean, you have people nowadays who, you know, claim that their music is ahead of, uh, ahead of their time. But, you know, there's a difference between stuff that's ahead of their time and it's still fresh today versus stuff that's just trash. This Khalees album was fresh. It was new. You know, like you said, it had the Neptune's production on it. And I think even to this day, I don't know how many R&B fans appreciate the album like they should. No, because it, as I said, it took artists, all, it took everyone off guard. And I guarantee, and I will, and I will admit to this because I had friends who heard it. They weren't even claiming that this was R&B. They were, they just couldn't wrap their ears around the sound. So a lot of people were like, "Oh, this isn't R&B. This is alternative, or this is like pop, or it's." I mean, to me, it was a true R&B album with a different sound. But it just goes to show how when you put something in the game so fresh so new a lot of times artists just 
the audience doesn't know how to take it. I think the amazing thing about this album is that it peaked at number 144 on Billboard. And it's, it's only sold about 250,000 copies, which for now I'm coming out in 99 is, is nothing. Yes, that's and, nothing. But it's like it's like you guys were saying, like people really didn't realize what we had here. I mean, this album still sounds fresh to this date. You know, yeah, 15 it's crazy. Years later, which is, you know, and, and I feel like this is when Pharrell and Chad were really coming into their own production-wise and took off from here. And I think this album is monumental for that reason. And sonically, it's just sound like nothing else in its time. Nothing really sounded like it since. And it's just like, that's why I appreciate it so much. Yeah, I think yeah. that this is really the album where the Neptunes like really dug in their heels and just kind of solidified themselves as the next go-to producers for really the next 10 years. Well, let me guys, let me ask you guys this. A, you are a VA product, so yes. I'll ask you first. And, of course, Tom, I know you're a huge Neptunes fan. Is this the best Neptunes album? Uh, I would – my gut says no, but I can't answer what it would be. Like, that's a really – I'd have to put on my hat for that one. Tom, what do you think when I said over well, here, Ponda? Well, what just immediately comes to mind is – uh, actually, their work on Billy's Most Wanted's debut album. I don't know if you guys have heard that. Of course. But they've had they had some great production on there, as well as the NERD debut album, which was not not the version that was released in the U.S. The actual studio version without the live instrumentation that had some really good production. And then I also think of what else can I think of? Eclipse's first album had some great production, and Justin Timberlake's debut had some great production from the Neptunes. Those come to mind immediately. Yeah, uh, I would honestly, I might have to go with either the first Clips album or the second. Like it, it may maybe even the second over the first one. Like I come clean, kind of leaning in that direction. Definitely this album, though, that we were just discussing, probably top five. Guys, Philly's Most Wanted made a podcast. How monumental is that? Yes, and I mean, I'm proud of you for knowing (laughs) Philly's Most Wanted. This is why you might do. (laughs) This is a a good moment for us, guys. Um, (laughs) Good moment for them. (laughs) Tom, I know you want to get into rapid fire soon. I got it. uh, Um, Go ahead. Well, let let me start off this one because I was talking to Ed about this, and I promised that I would ask him about this because um, we've talked about how Ed is not the biggest fan of L. Varner's refill and he thinks the chorus is slightly annoying. I have another song that comes to mind from about 10 years ago. So I'll ask you guys this. What is the more annoying chorus? Refill by L. Varner or Keisha Cole's Love? Ooh. Keisha Cole. First of all, come on. We love L. Varner. You You can't put her. Man. Man, you can turn about it. choruses. We're not talking about the artists. We're just Keisha, talking about what they've written and say. Re, refill is not an annoying chorus. Keisha Cole, though, I don't. I'm sorry. I'm. <laughs> I'm just gonna bite my tongue right now. Well, see, I have to really think about this one because refill has always been in my top five of choruses that make my eyeglasses crack. So, but love, oh, oh. I think love just drives me crazy because it brings back bad memories. Am I 
um, now wife's first apartment. I remember being over there one day and her neighbors upstairs were playing that song on repeat. This is like 05 when it first dropped. So just hearing that chorus over and over again, it's like being reminded of like PTSD. Good Lord, that thing drives me nuts. <laughs> but I don't know if I can be refilled with, ugh. As we know, it's no surprise that I have no love for that song. El Varner, if you're listening, we love you. We're your, yep. some of your biggest supporters. Don't mind, Dad. He's just a little cranky right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Send all hate mail to E.T. Bowser on Twitter. Yeah. And I think what's funny, I just remembered this, and it's kind of been the whole discussion of the podcast, is Tyrese Gibson. And Tyrese was actually in the music video for that Keisha Cole song. So there you go. It all comes Look full how it circle. continues to come full circle. All we need is Usher to show up in somebody's video, and we got all the bases covered. Yep. So, Tom, I'll let you take over and do your rapid fire. All right, guys. Rapid fire. I got five of them this week. First one up, Coke versus Pepsi. All right. Coke. Pepsi player. Yes. See, I used to be a Pepsi fan, and then I realized how sweet it was, whereas Coke, I think, is a little more mellow. Mellow. I mean, Pepsi is sweeter, but Coke is like acidic. I'm like, who in the world made this stuff? It like bubbles in your throat and crap. Jeez. We need to do Wait, a did you guys ever uh, ever have Pepsi Blue? Yes, we had that monstrosity. <laughs> no, I never had it. You ain't miss none. No, you don't. <laughs> Moving along. This is this one's a lot tougher. Uh, Drake versus Tupac. Um. <laughs> Let me tell you something. <laughs> I am not a fan of either, but to compare Drake and Tupac is like comparing, well, to me, it's like comparing jelly beans and pork and beans. I don't want either one of them, but at least the pork and beans will give you a little bit of substance. The rest is candy that just gets in your teeth and crap. Please, give me Pac all day, and I don't even like Pac. Well, you know, for the longest time, I thought you had asked if it was Drake or 2 Chains, but now you're saying Tupac, and now I find out. Ed doesn't even like Tupac. That's crazy. Wow. How does he not know this? Yes, this is like, I've gone on record with this hate. Wow. Well, see, um, you know, I think we had a rapid fire a couple weeks ago where you were asking uh, if Tamia was better or Deborah Koch. And I went with Tamia because she's Canadian. Yes. Now, if my memory serves me correct, Drake, what country is he from? Oh, I know what country Wait, 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 wait hold on a second. Deborah Cox is what? Canadian. Yes. Wait, this is true. What are you talking well, about? Well, then I forgot, I forgot the whole debate, but to go back to the great <laughs> point, what country is he from? I know what country. He's from your country. You can claim him. But what we were talking about earlier was how all the fine R&B women are from Canada. That's what the discussion was. I don't know how Drake fits into that. I ain't taking it there. So anyway, you know, Drake is from Canada. Tupac is not from Canada. So you're at, if you're asking who is better, I'm going to go with Tupac. <laughs> What? I don't know what, what. Does that mean you hate Canada? I don't understand what. That... No, we love we love Drake over here, but I personally I haven't really gotten to Drake like that yet, like everyone else has. Guys, I love how rapid fire mode has turned into you guys stepping up on the soapbox and giving a whole speech here. Well, that's you should know that. You, come on, who are you talking to? <laughs> All right, next one: Super Mario or Sonic the Hedgehog? Oh, come on now. I'm Mario all day long. I'm a Nintendo head. Me too. All right. There we go. 
MC Hammer or Vanilla Ice? This must Hammer. be one of those Montel Jordan versus um um future questions I see. Hammer all day long playing. Vanilla Ice had one halfway notable song. At least Hammer had a career. Yeah, but Vanilla he Ice did. was in the Ninja Turtles movie. Indeed he was. Indeed he was. But Vanilla Ice didn't have his own cartoon. Are these candidates for the future of the 90s? They should be. So there you go. There was a future in every generation. There was a future in every generation, but Mon- but MC Hammer destroys anything and everything future will ever do. Now, Vanilla Ice, okay, those two can buddy up. Because, yeah, i give you that one. Okay. okay, wait, so let's go through the timeline here. So we got Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer. We got Montel Jordan. <laughs> we got Little John. We got Akon. We got T-Pain. And now we have Future. You know what time? Other- All kind of screwed up player. <laughs> Who was the 80s, is, though? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Who was the 80s version? Keith Sweat. Ooh. Oh! Man. I just threw my cell phone across the room. You will be paying for the charges <laughs> when it just shattered, young man. Man. All right. And the final one. Wait, I don't have a final one. That was it. Oh. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> you got to think of something. That's all. For, um. Okay. Optimus Prime versus the Bumblebee. Oh, please. Optimus all day player. It's funny you say that. In my office, I have like a setup of Transformers that I've had forever, and I'm like looking at Megatron right now as you say that. But no, Bumblebee sucked. It wasn't Tyrese right. the Bumblebee. No, Optimus. Wait, Bumblebee sucked. Wait, Tyrese was who? What? Wait, didn't Tyrese play in that movie? Tyrese was in the movie, but he wasn't a Transformer. Oh, I thought I don't know. I don't watch movies. I have no idea. No, he was just like a human, like soldier guy running I around. He shooting. was a transformer. I don't know. He transforms from movies to music so flawlessly. I thought he was a transformer. <laughs> yes, he turns into an iPod. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's get back on track. We're gonna do our weekly food discussion. I have this one for you guys, Tom. I know you don't eat anything anymore, <laughs> but let's let's uh, let's backtrack like ten years ago when you did eat food. And I'm gonna ask you this question, guys. Are you guys ready? Ready. I'm going to name food, four food items. you got to tell me which one you eliminate from, from, from existence in the world. Okay. So we've got hamburgers, tacos, pizza, and chicken wings. Which one has to go? Man. Which one has to go? Yep. What kind of tacos? What kind of tacos? No, no, I have some specific questions about the food here. What kind of tacos? Uh, well, they would be the fast food kind. So is it like tacos. ground beef tacos? Yeah. And then is the chicken wings like fried? Is it like is it's there like the stuff you get at Domino's Pizza? Is there seasoning on there? Is there a I flavor? Mean, who eats chicken with no seasoning on it? <laughs> well, I need to know this specifically. If okay, there's I don't certain... want to live in a world without chicken without seasoning on. <laughs> okay, let's backtrack on this. So we have a Big Mac from McDonald's. Okay. okay. We have a pepperoni pizza from Pizza Hut. Uh huh. Have a Taco Crunch Supreme from Taco Bell. Ooh. I don't even know what that is, but go ahead. <laughs> you have chicken wings from. Ed, name a chicken wing place. 
Um, shout out to Rick Ross, Wingstop. Wingstop. Can we just go with <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken?
Are we talking about cassettes or CDs? Were you even alive when cassettes were around or no? Well, my fondest memory of, uh, of cassettes, uh, this was probably around 1998, is my first memory of it. And this is when Aaliyah's Are You That Somebody came out. And uh, I had recorded that song because it was playing on the radio. I had recorded it on my cassette tape. What was the brand? TDK? Yep. Yeah, so I, I had it on there. So that's probably my only memory of that, that song. I probably still have that cassette somewhere. I'm yeah, proud I'm of you. I'm very proud of you because for an R&B fan and a hip-hop fan, your earliest memories are recording songs from the radio on cassette tapes. I thought it was a lost art by 98. He's been yeah. – Kyle's been uh, getting music in any means necessary since the late 90s. Yep. <laughs> It's funny because Jenny Wine just posted uh he just posted a meme on his Instagram. It had a an, a logo of LimeWire. I'm not sure if everyone remembers that, but it was one of those awesome um programs where you could download music for free. Um, oh yes, LimeWire, the STD of the music world. <laughs> and that's that's exactly what the uh the meme said. You know, back in the day we had to basically put AIDS on our computer to get free music. Yes, Lord. Damn. Yeah. My brother-in-law's computer absolutely melted down messing with LiveWire. It was not that serious to get that Lil Wayne mixtape. I'm sorry. I don't know about you guys, but I actually have always supported music when I can. I bought CDs. I used to love buying CDs on the first day. I know a lot of people were, were all about downloading and all that, but man, I, I like supporting artists when I could. And I have a lot of CDs still from those days. I agree. I'm looking at Miguel's physical CD right now as we speak. Kyle? Listen, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I bought that Black Rose album, so I, I'm contributing to the uh, to the resurgence in R&B, and that's all you need to know. I bought Black Rose 2, and Tyrese can come down to the corner of my house and have a podcast and Vine video and scream at people on the corner about how he's bringing back R&B. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, I know it's getting late for everyone, uh, but just want to quickly add, because I know we have a lot of fans that want to hear your trip to New York and how that went. So just give us a brief summary, and I'm sure you're going to write about it. But I guess talk about your hangout with Tom and just New York in general. It was my first trip to New York, and I had an absolute ball. Like it, When I got there, there were so many people that were going to say, oh, it's going to city is like so huge, it's going to be intimidating. And it really wasn't. Like It, it really was a, just a huge experience of different cultures and different people. And like I said, we got to hang out finally with Tom face-to-face and his lovely wife. And shout-out to my man, Barry. And I had lots of other friends and family in the area that I got to hang out with. So it was a very monumental week that I really cherished. Um, Times Square was off the chain. I was up in Torres R Us like I was four, acting a fool. It was just a great time. I think the coolest thing about Ed was that I, I don't know if you all remember from a few podcasts ago when I made fun of him for being slow because he's from the South. But, man, I'm a New Yorker and I walk fast, and Ed was right there with me, walking fast with me. I was so happy. He was walking fast. It was like he was up there, I was up there, and I looked back, and I was like, where is everybody? (laughs) No more slow jokes. No more slow south jokes. Slow south jokes. Let me hop on my my tractor and drive down. Man, it's a hush. (laughs) It's all 
are good guys. That's what that's what R&B does. It brings people together. It's a universal thing, and it's wonderful. So before we get out of here, uh, Ed, uh, I know you you've kind of been MIA for a minute, been in New York, just been busy. But what's going on with Soul and Stereo? We're missing a Tyrese review. Yeah, we're missing a Tyrese review. We're missing a Soul uh, a Static Selector review. We're missing a Justine Sky review. So in the next week or so, I'm going to try to catch up with everything. Not sure if I'll be able to catch up as far as reviews, but I do want to at least have a post out that kind of rounds up the music that I've missed in the past two or three weeks. So that'll be coming. Also got some lovely love letters coming. More crazy advice. One of them focuses on Future and Sierra. So if you want to hear me fuss about the human mistake that is future, go ahead and come on to soulandstereo.com this week. And then, Tom, of course, with you, you were actually just down in Atlanta yesterday doing a feature on Music Soul Child slash Purple Wonderlove. Uh, what was that all about? Well, uh, you know, they invited me down to Atlanta to do a feature on them. They, they love you know I got soul, so they wanted to work with us. And uh, we did, it was more than just a basic interview. We did a whole bunch of segments and I don't want to give it away but you guys will see as we roll it out on the site so that was a lot of fun and uh, glad to be able to do that to help support uh, Purple Wonder Love and Music Soul Child yep and then of course Tom while we were in New Orleans uh, I forgot to bring up to everyone we kind of put together a video highlighting you know our start with the website and everything with that so uh, that's probably going to be Coming up soon, you guys can view the video and see how we got started. Um, and then, of course, with me, I've promised you guys we're going to do an R&B draft thing. I know I've kind of put that on hold for a minute, but we're going to make it happen sooner than later. Uh, I'm going to guess it comes up before Dr. Dre's new album. But, uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> but we I, shall see. We shall see. But I'm pretty sure it'll happen soon. Uh, but, I mean, that's all I have from, you know, in terms of something new, we still have the interviews, we still have the reviews coming from Ed, and that's it for this week, so I hope everyone has a good week, uh, and um, you know we'll see you next week. Peace. Stay away from future, please. <laughs> Turn up. <laughs>